George W. Bush was mocked appropriately when he said of the war in Iraq, you're either with us or with them. It's not quite that simple. And even today, between Russia and the United States, there's a lot of countries that want to stay non-aligned. Why is that so dangerous? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. H.L. Mencken noted that for every complex problem, there's a simple solution, and it's wrong. Those who were determined to simplify the world earned mockery back, back at the start of Bush II's Iraq War. Remember how it was us or them to display a profound ignorance of the world of the Middle East after so much history, so much history there, was not only self-blinded but also caused needless death and destruction with absolutely no resolution. It's in this slide that our quite popular returning guest Patrick Lawrence writes at the start of his new article in Consortium, the title of which is Ukraine and the Strength of Non-Alignment. He says, liberals once mocked the Bush-Cheney regimes with us or against us routines. Now the transatlantic foreign policy cliques have no capacity to see the world differently. End of quote. The U.S. has backed itself into yet another corner with a faith-based belief that the whole world is united in support of Ukraine in its underdog war with Putin's Russia. One might think the inhuman tactics, Putin's mass murder of civilians, would be all the reason the whole world needs to be with us and not them. Dividing the world in this way would be neater and the reality that many non-aligned nations prefer to remain that way and not take a side in a war between the U.S. and Russia. And in boxing ourselves into this corner, there are warning lights flashing for the West as we proceed into the imagined bifurcated world of the next decades. Bottom line, a lot of countries reject the limits of either us or Russia. They like their independent identity. And that's where the article comes in. Patrick Lawrence is our guest today. Patrick, thanks so much for being back with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Oh, it's always a pleasure to join you. Likewise. Patrick Lawrence is a correspondent, was a correspondent abroad for many years, chiefly at the International Herald Tribune. I love that paper. He's a columnist, essayist, author, and lecturer. His most recent book, which I highly recommend, very thought-inspiring, Time No Longer, Americans After the American Century. You can follow him on Twitter at The Flautist. I've never heard him play the flute. His website is Patrick Lawrence, and you can support his work via his Patreon site. Well, thanks again. Uh, Bert, yes. I must correct you. Um, okay. I've been, I've been censored at Twitter. My account has been... They have... Uh, Deplatformed me, as they say. Oh, join the club. What a hero. You get a gold star for that. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you, and I will tell your listeners, I, I liked it in order to leverage my yeah. commentaries to get it out there. Other than that, I really don't miss it. <laughs> I agree. I rarely use it, and uh, 
That guy's, anyway, onward. That guy's a wacko. So, but he has tons of money, so everybody likes him. So the, the choice among ice cream flavors, for example, is never limited to vanilla or chocolate. There are more than two or three economic, military, and political powers on Earth. India is probably the biggest non-aligned nation, and its role in the new simplistic reduction of the U.S. versus Russia is not to be underestimated. Please tell us about last December's summit between Mahendra Modi, head of India, and Vladimir Putin, held in New Delhi. What was? Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, Bert, that was a, a very interesting occasion. Um, I, I'd like to take a little time with you, if I may. Uh, I, I want to say at the outset, I don't hold any great candle for Prime Minister Modi. Um, he huh. is... Uh, He's a he's a Hindu chauvinist, uh, uh, pressing very hard this uh, Hindu nationalist ideology called Hindutva, and it's very. I saw it up close when I was wandering around India years ago, uh, and uh, it's a very distasteful phenomenon. Um, uh, so there's that. But uh, that meeting. Um, occurred at a, a really interesting moment because uh, December 6th, when when they concluded uh, cabinet-level talks and a summit, um, uh, the clouds were gathering uh, on Ukraine. Uh, Washington was making a great deal of noise about uh, R- Russia's uh, imminent uh, yeah. invasion and uh, all the other malevolent things that uh, we can anticipate Russia doing. In other words, it was polarizing uh, things quite uh, distinctively, right? Uh, and um, they, the Indians and the Russians uh, signed uh, something like 28 different agreements um, covering, uh, you know, um, uh, industrial sectors, transfers of technology, and so on and so forth, and numerous uh, defense-related uh, accords, mm-hmm. right? Uh, sure. So it, it was, I mean, I singled that out in the column that brings us together because it was such a pronounced uh, statement, if implicit, that India... Uh, uh, intends fully to adhere to its long-standing uh, principle of non-alignment, um, and in in the particular context of Ukraine, uh, you know, it's it was that meeting was a good occasion to consult a map, you know, with different colors on it and so on. Right? Uh, who exactly is the whole wide world? What? when um, the Biden administration is talking about everybody uh, being against Russia. Um, mm-hmm. Well, the whole wide world is the Western democracies as it transpires, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, entire, the entire global South, with a couple of exceptions, uh, South Korea won, um, has not signed on for the, the sanctions regime. They are not endorsing uh, NATO's... Uh, eastward expansion, uh, and they are not condemning the Russians, right? Uh, You know, that, and in a certain way, I'll say something a a bit sweeping, but I think it's useful. 
as a thumbnail, uh, you know, what India does, a uh, very great many other countries are going to do. Uh-huh. Right? Um, and uh, uh, I'll conclude this, my response here, by saying, look, uh, I, I consider the Russian intervention in Ukraine uh, regrettable but necessary, um, and I will be happy to explain that position um, as we go along this morning, if you like. Well, there certainly have been choices along the way, choices that, gosh, there's been so many foreign policy uh, uh, bits of history where certain choices were not made, and the results uh, happened to involve a red liquid substance. A lot of people die. A lot of people die yeah. on those limbs. You know, it, it, it was an interesting choice of words that American Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin used when he was speaking about India's nationalist leader, Modi, and he gave them a, a choice between us and the Russians. What kind of requirements, and that's his word, did Austin hand down to the Indians, and what was the effect of that? You know, uh, I, I don't know how that landed in Delhi, I can imagine. <laughs> But um, the Pentagon, uh, and more generally the Washington policy cliques, uh, uh, have been quite alarmed uh, by the um, Russia's success in marketing its uh, the products of its weapons industry. Of course, we all wish there was no need for any such yeah. thing. Uh, but... Uh, the, the the item that seems to really aggravate the Americans is the S-400 missile defense system. I do not claim to have any great expertise about what it's all about, except to say it must be very effective, because whenever anybody buys it, the Turks and now the Indians and various others, uh, Washington just freaks out, right? Mm. Uh, so Austin was... Um, testifying uh, at the House Armed Services Committee uh, and uh, expressing the Pentagon's alarm about um, the the uh, the Modi-Putin uh, meeting and um, uh, India's defense purchases and so on. And he concluded by saying, our requirement going forward mm. is that they downscale the types of equipment they're investing in, da-da-da-da-da, right? Uh, as I said in my commentary, I just love that, our requirement. It is so time. condescending. That's a nation of what, a billion people? More than yeah, that. Yeah, I thought to myself, you have to, you have to sound imperial when you're testifying on the Hill. <laughs> oh, I guess that's what's expected. But, you know, in India, I don't think they like being pushed around like that. They're not... No. So- in, look, not a line. It was... Another reason why I, I took up the India case is because non-alignment, uh, I hope we get to talk a lot more about it uh, as we go along, uh, non-alignment is a, 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 a really admirable yeah. principle in Indian foreign policy. Um, you know, it's a, it's a bit like the NHS in Britain, right? Uh, um, it, it's it's a, a, a pretty important feature of the Indian identity yeah. going back to Nehru, right? And I've always, I've always admired the Indians for that, and they never, 
they never deviate from it. It's not negotiable. Yeah. Right. Uh, at the moment, at the moment, we Americans are are entertaining ourselves with the fantasy that we're going to pull India uh, into our camp uh, uh, in in our in our gathering. Uh, opposition to China and so forth. Well, India and China have their problems, but the the, the idea that uh, India is going to stand with us against China, it's, it's a fantasy. I don't know why sure. these people, I don't know why these people waste their time on these sorts of things. Um, um, and I also, I don't know why they get such high salaries for being so wrong. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of questionable money being spent in our foreign policy, that's for sure. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our returning guest today, Patrick Lawrence, the ever-popular, and there's no joke, it's, if people always like hearing from you, Patrick, uh, correspondent for many years, chiefly for the International Herald Tribune, and it's got a book out after the American century. Very important book about, and it you know really touches on a lot of uh, what we're talking about here because, you know, it's again two. It's not just two flavors of ice cream. It's not just vanilla and chocolate. There's this whole big world out there. India is huge. They were part of the colony of England for a long time. How the British ever thought they could do that with their cuisine? I have no idea. The Indian cuisine is a heck of a lot more interesting. But uh, <laughs> and you know, you can still get a good curry in London. <laughs> that's true. Curry in a hurry. Well, uh, the last time was there a long time ago. But I think about the non-aligned nations movement of the early 60s when, for example, there was Patrice Lumumba in, in Africa. They're coming after the scramble for Africa, uh, mm. which was just amazing. It started in, you know, around the hundred some years ago. The various empires in history have always sought to dominate every little piece of the world. Uh, but a lot of people, a lot of people really don't want to be subservient to the big powers. Wow, what a concept. Here we are again. You say yeah. the long-term effect of this bifurcation will be the West's increasing alienation from the vast majority of humanity, otherwise known as the non-West. What do you see as the long-term prices that we'll likely have to pay? Ameri we Americans? Yes. Uh, I, I I think uh, I think the long term uh, price can can be looked at two ways, maybe more. Uh, one of them is um, a, a, an increasingly profound uh, uh, difference, perhaps even alienation, as things go along between the Western democracies and the rest of the world, what I call the non-West, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, 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 and, and second, uh, I, I think isolation, we have to start thinking in terms of America's isolation, right? Uh, uh, he who mm -hmm. purports to isolate others, uh, <laughs> if you isolate a sufficient number of people, it turns upside down, and you become the isolated. Uh -huh. right? um, and I, I think step by step, this is this is what we're 
looking at, um, and I think the Ukraine crisis is very, very key in this, in what I'm describing as a process, right? I, 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 perhaps here's the moment to put it in context. Uh, sure. I don't think the Ukraine crisis can be seen other than in uh, a, a much uh, broader uh, field of phenomena, developments. Um, uh, and, and I think uh, the very important backdrop to, to note here is that Ukraine is accelerating uh, a trend already well in motion mm. toward a, a, a serious transformation in the global order. Uh, and and um, Ukraine, uh, I think, is it is the moment where this is uh, becoming much more evident, much more visible, mm. and the the contradictions much sharper. These sort of uh, transformations of the kind that I am talking about, theoretically, Bert, uh, uh, you know, these are kind of world historical moments we're talking about. Uh, yeah. uh, theoretically, they can happen with uh, imagination, creative thinking, uh, wisdom, uh, goodwill, uh, uh, courage, right? Uh, I made that point in the book you mentioned, Time No Longer. But uh, most of the time, they occur violently, don't they? Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. And, and, and that is what we're seeing in Ukraine. I'm going to put this in, in simple, but I think... Uh, useful and defensible terms. Sure. I read the Ukraine crisis as uh, 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 a confrontation between a hegemonic power uh, and uh, an anti-hegemonic, anti-imperial power. I'm not talking about the Soviet Union, I'm talking about the Russian Federation, right? Uh, mm -hmm. um, and and uh, the reality is that America's uh, determination to continue uh, defending and defending and extending its uh, global mm -hmm. hegemony. Uh, we are not going to stop until we're forced to stop. Mm. And, uh, it, and this is my read on, on Ukraine. This is the moment when another great power is saying, we're standing up this time. Uh, and they're standing up to the Americans, and also it's it's instrument in Europe, NATO. That's how I see it. Right? Interesting point, and it's easy to forget that, that there were alternatives. I mean, the way, the way Putin is making war in Ukraine is, is shocking. No hmm. question about it. Uh, and they're... Yeah, there have been other incidents of, of, of mass murder as opposed to a traditional war between two militaries. But And there are certainly military involved in Ukraine. But there, it didn't have to be this way. It was nearly simultaneously that Washington and its NATO allies were, as you say, busily provoking Russia's intervention in Ukraine and assisting the world lined up against the evil-doing Russian Federation, end quote. I can imagine, I can't imagine any nation supporting the kind of inhuman war Putin has unleashed, for sure. But there were well, opportunities yeah. for negotiation before the actual invasion. There were roads yeah. not, not taken by the Western, 
belligerence. You write that the Modi government, for example, has declined to condemn the Russian invention in uh, Ukraine and is not participating in the sanctions regime. What's the explanation, please? Uh, uh, look, uh, let's start with with a very simple reality. Uh, sometimes it's hard to notice things that are absent, right? There is absolutely no uh, effort on Washington's part to seek a diplomatic solution. There, there are no... There are no uh, publicly known, uh, there's always back-channel stuff, I suppose, yeah. but uh, there, there, there are no, there's no effort on Washington's part to talk to Russia, to, 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 uh, to advance toward a diplomatic settlement of this crisis. Mm -hmm. They're not even, they're not even, it's not even on their agendas. Yeah. They're not interested. Uh, it, it tells you what you need to know about what Washington wants. Sorry, Combine that with the extraordinary amount of weaponry we are pouring into Ukraine, and I, I think the conclusion is, is evident, right? Uh, we find this war, uh, to, we want this war. Uh, it, it's now emerging by way of statements uh, Austin uh, again, has made uh, um, uh, Secretary of State Blinken, and you know uh, our our sort of wooden mouth president, that the real objective here, the ultimate objective here, is is destabilizing Russia. They've said right? it. They've said as much. Yeah. 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 So look, uh, we're in a situation now where uh, Russia considers. Russia considers it itself in uh, an existential uh, predicament. Uh -huh. I think they're right about that. Uh, uh, consult the consult the statements I just mentioned: uh, Austin, Lincoln, uh, President uh, Biden. Um, it, it's obvious that they are under the threat, right? Uh, uh, and uh, American efforts to to uh, discredit their sense of threat, uh, they ring very hollow. Right? Uh, and, and I, and let, so, I'm going inter to yeah. interrupt here, but I remember, I don't remember how many months ago it was, before the war, when the mass media was talking about the uh, conditions for diplomacy that Russia was laying down and saying, oh, of course, that'll never happen. And I remember thinking, well, why not? They don't want. Yeah. They've been invaded from the West in the past. Yeah. They don't. I remember that. I remember that period very well, Bert. Uh, yeah. And, growing, you know, it's so curious about how people in my profession they they pick up these terms and they're just they use them relentlessly yeah. because they. Uh, <laughs> and the term of term of, at the time was non-starter. Right? Non-starter. Non Why? What was wrong with these? Why not Russia's, expect yeah, Russia's NATO? Proposals, Russia's expressions, uh, Russia's requirements uh, by way of its security concerns, they're non-starters. What? What? I mean, it's a, it's a form of name-calling. If you, if you <laughs> label somebody a certain, you know, then you don't have to just, then you, you've ended the, the discussion. And the West has never taken uh, 
the West has never taken Russia's concerns as seriously, um, which parenthetically a perfect echo of of Cold War. Yeah. How the Cold War unfolded. Uh, yeah. Uh, and um, uh, that, is, but that is not going to make Russia's concerns uh, go away. Uh, I count Russia's security concerns by way of its western flank, uh, uh, perfectly legitimate. How could, uh, uh, unless we have a a coloring book notion of what NATO is all about, uh, uh, we, 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 uh, it behooves us to, to take them seriously. They're not going to go away. Russia, you know, in some bird, Russia can't lose this war, right? Our problem at the moment is the Biden administration can't lose it either because, uh, number one, they've got elections coming up, uh, and more broadly, the West Europeans and the Americans uh, have uh, very unwisely cast this uh, as uh, the proving ground for the entire Western liberal vision of huh. how the world works. So they can't lose it either. Wow! Right? Mm-hmm. This is one of the. This is one of the more the profoundly distressing features of this whole thing. Neither side, neither side can can uh, cave on this, right? Oh, we've seen this happen before, and it's ugly. It's awful. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, World War One kept going a lot longer than it should have been and could have been, and what's yeah. and what's going on here is they didn't want them. They, the Russians didn't want. Tell, correct me if I'm wrong. Na, Ukraine to join NATO. NATO is an adversary of Russia. It is. They they didn't want. Uh, uh, they did want uh, Ukraine to be neutral, perhaps a non-aligned yeah. country. Wow, horrors. Imagine those two things. Like, that's a non-starter? Why is that a non-starter? One can understand that. And they couldn't negotiate it around that, it seems to me. This, uh, go ahead. This crisis could have been averted with a week's worth of diplomacy. Yeah. Right? Um, and even the Pope uh, is saying, uh, you know, that, that, that Russia was backed into a corner, basically, and they were. I was very impressed with Papa Francisco's remarks the other day. Yes. What did, what, what did uh, Francis have to say? Uh, he said, you know, it, it could be, being, being the pontiff, uh, it could be that NATO really did provoke the Russians, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, uh, I didn't read the whole speech. I read a wire service report on it. Right? In the original Latin, of course. <laughs> I think he's, I, I imagine he speaks Italian, but it's yeah, his first yeah, name. Yeah. Yeah, right? uh, <clears throat> but yeah, the Pope that that struck yeah, me as it's very powerful. And it, events, I mean, you know, as Stalin used to say, how many, how many right divisions? How many divisions does the Pope have? Right, quite a few, as uh, it turns out. <laughs> But I think it counts, right? Uh, it does. Count. It counts in 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 the way uh, the drift of global opinion counts. 
And that, you know, that brings us back to this question of non-alignment. I think it's very important that most of the world, and, and I use that expression advisedly, most of the world does not approve uh, of American, of the American uh, accounting of what is going on in Ukraine. They're not signing on for the sanctions. Yeah. Uh, and they are not endorsing um, the, the American spoke NATO position, and they are not condemning Russia. This is important. I think it's a feature in the emergence of what we're talking about here, a new world order. Right. <clears throat> yeah, either us or them. Yeah, Meet yeah. the new world order, same as the old new world order. Yeah. order. Can we talk about non-alignment for a minute? Yes, then? please, I, let's I, do that. That's important. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, non-alignment um, was uh, a, a very early feature of um, the post-World War II uh, period, which is known as the independence era. You know, scores and scores of nations um, became independent. The, the, the empires were French and English. Primarily, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, collapsed and and numerous numerous nations came into being. The numbers are quite extraordinary. If you Google how many nations were there in 1945 and how many nations were there in 1970, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. Well, anyway, one of their uh, uh, they needed to you know the leaders of that time were these larger than life figures. I've always had a a great admiration for. Um, uh, I have my four ends, for example, Nehru, uh, Nkrumah, Nasser, uh, and Nereri. Um And then, as you mentioned, Lumumba, uh, Joe Lai, certainly, Sukarno. I, 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 Sukarno fascinates me, right? Mm. Um, um, and, and they had aspirations that uh, you just, you'd have to be a cretin not to admire. Right. Uh, they had a vision of, remember, this is as the world emerged from World War II, they had a, a vision for a better world order. Now, in uh, 53, um, China, uh, n- 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 post-revolutionary China uh, and India were trying to sort their differences. Um, and Zhou Enlai... Uh, the premier at the time, and he may have been doubling as foreign minister too, uh, uh, was in negotiations with the Indians and uh, articulated uh, what we call his five principles. Okay, and uh, I'll read them quickly. Mutual. They're all about. Um, they're all about uh, mutual respect, uh, territorial. Territorial integrity and sovereignty, non-aggression, non-interference in the internal affairs of others, uh, equality and cooperation to mutual benefit and peaceful coexistence, right? Uh, uh, Joe formulated those in 53 and uh, in preparation for um, a, a treaty with the Indians signed a year later in 54. A year after that, 55, the very famous Bandung conference uh, 
took place. Sukarno hosted it, Bandung being a sort of a mountain resort in Indonesia. Uh. Uh, uh, and they adopted these principles. Uh, uh, and uh, six years later in Belgrade, Tito being the host, uh, the non-aligned movement was formally founded. And um, a bit of inflation there, the five principles became ten. Uh, but uh, the bedrock of those ten were the five that Joe articulated. Uh, and this is, this is what non-alignment stands for. Uh, 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 embedded in those five principles is a notion of a world order. Mm. Non-aligned movement, NAM, um, was greatly discredited by the Americans during the Cold War. They were crypto-communists or dupes mm -hmm. of the Soviet Union and so on and so forth. Uh -huh. uh, again, reflecting our with us or with them consciousness. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the NAM, as it's called, is, is not nearly the prominent organization it once was, but believe it or not, it still exists. And my thought is that uh, if you listen to what the Chinese are saying, if you listen to what the Russians are saying, if you listen to what the Indians are saying and indeed doing, uh, and numerous other countries, uh, these five principles, and bless John Lai, one of the great statesmen of the 20th century, these these five principles are what uh, that vast portion of the world that is not endorsing the NATO position on Ukraine and not condemning Russia. This is what they are all about. And it is my thought, uh, and I think a well-grounded expectation, that these will be the basis of the world order that I think uh, mm. is gradually emerging. And wow, good, good for us, you know. We can sit around being pessimistic and and depressed uh, mm. as as the news goes by us every day. But underneath it, I I find this to be a very very positive trend. One more point here: um, um, February four, the eve of the um, Beijing Olympics, uh, uh, Putin and Xi Jinping met in Beijing and issued a a very lengthy, uh, uh, plainly uh, worked-on document, a joint statement, actually saying a lot of the things uh, we are talking about this morning. A, a new world order is emerging. It's going to be based on international law uh, and international institutions that need to be restored to their integrity, the UN and so on. And so it was, it was on the basis of that document, a really good read, and not dense, it's per perfectly approachable. Uh, uh, it was on the basis of that document that I began to think about the Ukraine crisis in, in this larger context, uh -huh. right? It's, what, it's, it, it, it's, an, it, it's, it's one piece of an emergent world order 
that faces a very profound resistance from those nations who think they will lose out in the course of this uh, uh-huh. transformation. Yeah, they don't you want know? they don't want to lose it. Yeah, well, you know, the irony here is that uh, the United States would be a, a, a greatly better place uh, if it could get past its its compulsive desire yeah. for world primacy. How wonderful it would be if, if the burdens we now uh, assign ourselves alone were shared by the global community of nations, you know, um, mm-hmm. You know, just as you were saying before, uh, numerous kinds of ice cream, right? You, you remind me of uh, this uh, really good economist no longer with us. His name was Hyman Minsky. Right? Hyman Minsky's specialty was labor economics, in part. Right? And, and his famous phrase is, um, there are as many kinds of capitalism as there are as Heinz has pickles, right? Uh, uh-huh. uh, and uh, it, 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 there, there are just as many voices in the world, right? More uh, who have something to say about uh, the humanity, shared problems, and you know. Yeah, I don't know. It's been interesting how insistent the. Uh, uh, feeling the that uh, the belief that it's either us or them that we the United States has a right to be the uh, what was the word that was used uh, an essential nation uh, it's it doesn't ha- it's not going to oh, be the, the, way for him. the what yeah. the indispensable yes we are we are the indispensable nation uh, and uh, it it goes on and on and. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. It, I try to ask people to imagine a, a world that is not black or white, you know, us or them. And, and most of the world, most of the world is already there wanting to be not. Yeah, that's interesting you say that. You you ask that question of your friends and whoever. Uh, that's a great question, Bert. You get good answers, I take it. Uh <laughs> Yeah, well, often no, actually, surprising. People, it's it's so far drilled into us. It's either the or that, and there is a war now between the U.S. and Russia going on. It happens to yeah. be in Ukraine, but it's between exactly. the U.S. and Russia. And you know, most people are on these parts anyway. Believe that the whole world is horrified by Russia's special operation in Ukraine. Frankly, I am. I I can't believe the the lack of military targets that they're going after. They just it seems like they're just wiping out individuals, and uh, that's I don't. That's not uh, a regular war, in my opinion. That's something horrible. But you you say that most of the world isn't horrified by the Russia's special operation in Ukraine that I, I I think they you know degrees of horror are quite <laughs> debatable many 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 people are are probably right with you uh, this is a horrible thing but they're not going to condemn it because I think they uh, 
I think they see it in some variant of the larger context I'm, I'm describing this morning. But we need to understand by way of this, uh, what you were saying just a moment ago, Bert, about, about the Cold War binaries. Uh, uh-huh. Now, a lot of the world suffered very greatly because of the Cold War. Oh, yeah. Those, uh, those aspirations I was uh, uh-huh. describing uh, just a moment ago, they were almost extinguished. Um, development, uh, which was, uh, you know, the great topic during that time, just when I was coming up as a journalist, uh, uh, development programs and all that were 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 uh, were rendered ineffective. Uh, there were great costs, um, material, um, by way of political aspirations and so forth. You know, Lumumba was assassinated. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, look at Cuba. People paid for the Cold War, uh, big time. The global South, as we call it now. Mm-hmm. A very high price. And they don't want to do it again. You know, it's as simple as that. Right? Wow. They don't want why wouldn't they want to do it again? It was so much fun the first time. Oh, man. For those who just who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today, returning guest, is Patrick Lawrence, who was a correspondent abroad for many years, chiefly with the International Herald Tribune. He's a columnist, essayist, author, and lecturer. His most recent book is Time No Longer, which fits into what we're talking about today, Americans After the American Century. People, it's time to face a different possibility, different possibility. It's not us versus them, that there's a whole big world out there. The book is Time No Longer, Americans After the American Century. His website, Patrick Lawrence, and you can, uh, his Twitter site, Twitter, at The Flautist. Nope. <laughs> well, maybe no longer I, on Twitter. I'm censored there, Bert, and it doesn't, like they're gonna, it doesn't look like they're going to lift it. Yeah, well, I joined the club. I have not been censored on Twitter, but on Facebook a few times. And is, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been in Facebook jail. Uh, uh, it's <sighs> unbelievable. Uh, but anyway, uh, it has amazed me uh, how for how many decades how important it's been for American politicians to sound tough. Such a dramatic requirement has been the cause of countless deaths and dismemberments for very little, if any, gain. So many examples of looking tough leading the way into terrible outcomes. Are we doing that again? Are we doing that again? Yeah. You know, we're doing exactly that, right? Um, And uh, I I think that's one one, bit of background to, to... understand the Ukraine situation, right? Uh, um, Austin's testimony or mentioned earlier on Capitol Hill is a perfect example of what you're saying, right? Uh, there is, if you, uh, if you suggest that uh, this country needs to face the reality of a fundamental transformation in global balances of power and so forth, you are just not going to be part of the conversation. Right? Uh, um, and uh, part of our... You're, you're, you're excluded from the discourse, right? Never mind censored Twitter. You can't... <laughs> you're in 
inside the you know I I work with people uh, inside the Beltway in various capacities, and I I I always remark to myself, wow, you know, here I am in a small village in Connecticut. Uh, I'm at liberty to say what I think, but dealing with people who are functioning inside the Beltway and want to remain part of the Washington discourse. They're not. They're not even able to say things directly, right? The, the, their language is different, right? It's like it's as if we speak in different dialects, right? Uh, uh, they have to be very circumspect about things that I, you know. And I think circumspection is is part of our problem. If more of us were able, were were allowed ourselves to speak in perfectly clear language, uh, we'd be far further along in in our collective thinking. That's, parenthetically, that's why my columns are uh, rather bluntly cast. Right? I, I think it's important just to speak and write that way. Anyway, the point here is the, the rest of the world <clears throat> does not share this perspective, right? Uh, and um, it, 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 in, in, the, in the way of understanding their their position on um, uh, the Ukraine crisis, uh, and indeed my position, uh, we have to think in terms of in, in, in we have to we have to refer to the just the the just war discourse, right? There are just well, you know I, who likes war, but uh, everybody from Cicero to uh, uh, Augustine and Aquinas. Uh, took up the question of just, uh, just and unjust wars, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, I, think, uh, the, I think Washington's position is that this is a dreadful unjust war. Their favorite, favorite term is unprovoked. To call a Ukraine, to call the Russian intervention unprovoked is, is just completely ahistorical. Yes, um, yes, it is. Ground, right? And, and I think, uh, referencing our earlier thought about why uh, most of most nations are are not taking a position on this, it, I think it probably goes to can be assigned to the, the question of whether this is a just war. And in the context I've set out earlier, uh, I my judgment is that it is. Uh, you don't, uh, as my friend Diana Johnstone puts it, uh, uh-huh. you don't beat the bear, right? Uh, you <laughs> don't poke a stick in the bear's eyes, right? Uh, yeah, generally a thing to avoid. Yeah. Um, you, you know, the standout report in the corporate media, most of it has been, you know, pretty much uh, in line and, and echo chamber, but there's Hannah Beach, a New York Times Southeast, uh, Southeast Asia Bureau Chief uh, shared the byline on a story headline, with us or with them, question mark, in a new Cold War, how about neither? You say, yeah. you say Beach and her colleagues make the very astute point that Western nations paid a very high price for the depredations and uh, deprivations of the Cold War uh, that the Cold War in- inflicted upon them and do not intend to pay it again. This stuff is not so well known in the West. Do tell. Yeah. You don't... Uh, 
Hannah B. is a very, I don't know her personally, um, uh, but if I am correct, uh, she's the daughter of a man named Kaisbeach, who was one of the really outstanding correspondents uh, during the uh, Asia correspondence during the Korean War, and then he went on to cover Vietnam. Um, and uh, uh, Hannah Beach, uh, as I note in that commentary, um, appears to have a uh, a certain understanding, uh, uh, a certain broader perspective on uh, on how the world looks to the non-West that you just never, ever find among New York Times correspondents, right? Uh, uh, and that column struck me as quite singular. Uh, uh, what you get, it leads me to a point I want to make in response to your one of your remarks earlier. Uh, what you get in the mainstream news coverage, uh, most of all the New York Times, it's a very one-sided perspective about what's going on, right? Uh, um, and, and, and I thought Hannah Beach's piece was quite singular because it stepped outside of that for a few hundred words, you know. Um, in, in the matter of what's going on in Ukraine, uh, I, I urge we all, I, I urge us all to be very cautious. I, you know... There's much talk about Russian brutality and uh, atrocities and civilian suffering and murder and all that, right? Uh, um, we have to accept the fact that this is the first war, at least so far as I can reckon it, where we have absolutely no objective, responsible coverage. We in in consequence, we really don't know what's going on there. Various, uh, various uh, notable uh, in incidents in Mariupol and yeah. recently in Bucha. Yes. We need to have these investigated. Right? It, it, it is imperative that we, if we, if we are to reach a balanced understanding of what's going on over there, to recognize at this moment that we don't know. Uh, we have Ukrainian accounts. We have Russian accounts. Uh, we have Washington's accounts. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, among all of them, we don't have any correspondents doing the responsible, essential work of, of, of reporting this uh, devoid of anybody's any national perspective, that's the work of a good correspondent, right? Uh, and uh, we need to be careful about that. We don't know what's going on. Well, all these millions of people are leaving, and we've seen uh, not a few uh, resident buildings bombed, uh, maternity wards bombed, uh, that, uh, that theater... There, apparently, there may have been like 300 people killed in there. And people don't get up and leave their home unless there's a real oh, the, reason to the, do the, it. The, uh, the, 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 um, the tragedy of it is, is, is undeniable birth, of course, right? Uh, um, 
it's it's awful. The numbers are there. Five, six million people displaced and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. What I'm what I mean when I say we don't know what's going on is you mentioned that theater incident, okay? There is there is uh, uh, considerable evidence that uh, that theater incident mm-hmm. uh, was uh, orchestrated by the Ukrainians, the in, notably the. Nazi battalion uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, they herded people into that theater uh, draped them in raggedy blankets uh, took their photographs and sent them home uh, there's a there, in other words there's a lot of um, and, and we've seen this before the Ukrainians want to draw the West ever more uh, deeply into this conflict. Um, it's one of their main objectives. And even the New York Times has acknowledged, probably not willingly, uh-huh. uh, that we're getting a very, very great deal of propaganda uh, out of the Kiev government, right? Uh, so that's what I mean by, by we have to be careful. I don't know what happened at the theater. I will venture to say that your listeners don't either, which whatever... Uh, None of us are there. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what happened in Buka, right? Uh, The maternity ward, we don't know, right? Uh, um, You know, there there was... uh, Was it the maternity ward, the art school, the theater? Uh, One of those was situated on a very high point in Mariupol, um, and there are numerous accounts saying, uh, oh, it was the maternity ward. There are numerous accounts saying uh, all the patients in the maternity ward were turned out because it was located in a very advantageous position, and the Azov Battalion made uh, made a, a, a temporary base on the upper floors so they could defend against the Russian troops. Right? Oh, my. So we don't know, right? Uh, but... Uh, um, very little of what I'm talking about is to be found in, in American, major American dailies. You can find it. It's out there. But, uh, yeah, you really have uh, to look. And there's so many incidents yeah, yeah, yeah. where, you know, if you look into it, uh, it's not so innocent. Like, remember the Maine. Well, no, it wasn't the the, uh, well, it, the Spanish who did it. And uh, Absolutely terrific. You mentioned that. Perfect. Let's all remember the main. Yeah. <laughs> summarize my point right there. Oh, my goodness. Well, how does the upcoming American election play into all this? Interesting. Um, <laughs> look, uh, uh, you know, maybe there are many Biden folk among your listeners. Uh, I, I am not a Biden voter. Um, I am. Um, are you? Yeah. yeah. I don't admire his record over the course of half a century. Anyway, anyway, he, he, he uh, of his program, uh, uh, as articulated during the campaign season, very little of it has been realized. Uh, uh, a few things, I suppose, but not very much. Uh, and he's going back on quite a lot. Most recently, I think, um, uh, 
the promise, there will be no more new drilling leases and so on. Well, now there are going to be half a million acres of new drilling leases, right? Um, um, and uh, so, you know, $15 wage is never even discussed. Uh, student debt never even, well, I, I gather yeah, that's maybe. being discussed. Uh, Medicare for all, not even on the table anymore. Well, he was, he was uh, never for that, was he? Yeah, well, I mean, my analysis of this is that Biden knew in advance that his very ambitious programs uh, laid out during the campaign had no chance of making it through the legislative process. None. And therefore, he could make all these promises in the certainty that, as he said during a Wall Street speech, nothing will fundamentally change. Anyway, the point here is, on the domestic side, there's not enough to show um, as the midterms <clears throat> are coming up, and the, uh, uh, and the poll numbers, we all know them, they're not very good. Mm -hmm. uh, so what to do? Well, yeah. it's a time-honored time uh, uh, conclusion among political people. We need a war, right? Uh, uh, and so the, I think the war fits that way. It's only one dimension of, of our understanding of it, but I think the domestic uh, political equation certainly plays into it. We need a war. We need, we need to unite people behind us. And this is a war president. As somebody said, Biden wants to be a war president without mm. fighting a war. Uh, uh, um, and I think that's, that's part of it. I, I was talking to a friend the other day, and I, I, I found myself saying, I wonder if we can even really talk about American foreign policy, because so much of it is domestic policy writ no. large. <laughs> so true. So, so true. We have, we don't ever seem to really learn that uh, the world, a lot of the world doesn't like to be divided between us yeah. and them. They'd like to be independent, and there's so much potential here, and yet it doesn't oh. doesn't yeah. look good for the Americans, uh, for our interests in the rest of the 21st century, largely because no. of this. Well, all the all the American uh, policy planners. Uh, are are so vigorously resisting, um, in my view, Bert, will be of great, great benefit to American people once it comes to be. Right? Uh, sometimes I say in my columns, don't don't miss the optimism beneath the apparent pessimism. Ah, right? good way to end it. And his book, your book, is Time No Longer, Americans After the American Century. And people can also uh, look at your website, Patrick Lawrence. Thank you so much for being with us, uh, and enjoy the spring. And uh, it's good to hear a little always, bit of optimism. I always love coming on with you because you're so well prepared and you ask the good questions. You know, it, it seems to me we get good things done. Thank you. Oh, no.
after all.